talk about these themes and we talk about love and peace and joy and hope and we use the words, but do we really understand the concepts of them? And so we wanted to do something that would help us really, really get these principles deeply rooted in who we are, not just in our minds so that we're thinking correctly, but in our hearts, that we are transformed in our hearts as well. And so that's why we're doing this story, and you can find it on Facebook. You can uh, do the, the audio version of it. It's available on, the, on a podcast, so iTunes podcast. If you want to pull up your phone and subscribe to the podcast, you can uh, join in with us where we are and, and, uh, and, and participate that way. And then the chapters are available for download as well, and we're putting those up in Workplace every day for you to be able to download the chapter. I'm sure I've missed some along the way, but I'm trying to keep up with it. But um, you, can, you can read it, so if you're a faster reader and you'd rather read, that would be a great way to do it, but maybe you want to participate in, in the audio version, so we're trying to make it easy. So if you're driving, you've got to commute or something, uh, then you can, you can follow along while you're driving and, and stay up to date with the story. And I think if we follow along with the story, we'll, we'll kind of grasp these concepts, and then we can kind of gain a biblical foundation for them every week here as we gather together. But this week, what happened in the story was uh, we kind of ended with, with this gossip that had blown up about Jack, and Mrs. Ayers ended up being the one who spread this gossip that Jack and Alyssa were getting together. And so the first chapter this week started off the week last Sunday night with Jack going over to Mrs. Ayers' house and confronting her with the gossip and having this big blow up that ended up getting caught on camera and then was spread into the town's Facebook group, and everyone was giving Jack a hard time about it, and that kind of led him to, to get out of Dodge and, and so on and so forth. But somehow, everything kind of worked out, and Jack didn't really know what, what had worked out and how it had worked out. But then the next day, uh, Jack is back with Paxton, his brother, and, and I, I have to address this because I heard this come out in our women's group in the, uh, in the White Elephant Exchange, there was some heresy that was taught. There was a lie that was taught, and I want to make sure that we're only speaking the truth here at this church. And there was, there was consensus, which means that we have a lot of teaching to do. Uh, th- that there's some belief, for some reason, that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And this is a problem. Because Die Hard 1 and 2 are, are specifically Christmas movies, especially Die Hard 2 is probably one of the most Christmasiest movies you, you'll ever watch. Now, it's, got a, it's rated R, so take that into account. I cannot officially recommend it to you as a pastor, but, um, but it's a Christmas movie. All right? Anybody want to contradict that? I didn't think so. All right, so... So we've corrected that, we've fixed that problem, but um, so they're watching Die Hard 2, you know, I had to work that in there because I'm a fan of the Die Hard movies, as most, as most guys I know are. But then they, you know, they had this dance that, that they were working up for Alyssa to go to this dance with Felix, and this was part of Jack's big plan to try to get them together so that they could meet one another's needs, and, and everything goes wrong at the, at the dance. It just it all blows up in Jack's face, and, and nothing works like it was supposed to. And then the rest of the week was Jack trying to fix Felix and his relationship and friendship with Felix, and so he talks with Wyatt and, and discovers that that what Felix needs is joy, and so then he's trying to figure out how to bring joy into, Je- into Felix's life, and one of the things, the main theme he focuses on is forgiveness. We'll mention that here in just a minute. So that's the story to this point. Now, I want to talk about some of the principles that were brought up in the story this week, but before we do that, I want to, I want to draw our attention to the status of joy in our society. Now, if we're talking about joy, if we think about joy, uh, our idea of joy usually revolves around pleasure and happiness. And, and, if, and if I get these pleasures and, and if I get these things, then, then that will make me happy and that I should only have to do whatever it is that makes me happy. This, this is how our society defines joy. The, the more things that we have in our life that are like we want them to be, the more joyful we will be. 
And when we finally only have those things in our life, when we've gotten rid of all the other stuff that we shouldn't have to do, like work, nobody should ever have to work, right? I mean, if I, if I didn't have to work, I would have joy. And when we finally get all of those things out and we only have the things left in our life that we want, that we think will make us happy, then, then we believe we'll achieve nirvana, we'll get to the status of joy. The problem is all the things we pursue to find pleasure never really give us joy. We, we chase after them, we go looking for them, we, we find them, and when we acquire them, whatever it is, we find that there's still a wanting, there, there's still a lack between what we thought it was going to give us and what actually we have. Many of them, many of these things bring us moments of joy, moments of happiness, and many of them are good things. They're not bad things. The problem was is that they're only designed to point us towards the source of joy, towards the true giver of joy, and instead we have made them the most important thing. So the way the world defines joy is the perfect alignment of circumstances. When everything is in, in my life is how I want it, when everything in my life is how I think it should be, I'll have joy. And we talk about this, right, a lot in our country because we're kind of built on this principle of the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But how many have found that the pursuit of happiness leaves you incredibly unhappy? And if the pursuit of happiness and pleasure are supposed to give our lives meaning, why are so many struggling to find meaning and joy? In our society, in our world, as it is right now, this is the problem. We have access to more pleasure than ever. We have at our fingertips, at our disposal, more pleasure than, than really the human race has ever known in its existence. And yet, we still find ourselves running from one high to another. One high to another, this thing brings us a little bit of a dopamine rush, and so we feel good about ourselves for the moment, but then that wears off, and we go chasing after another dopamine rush. If you, I don't know if you know much about science and relationships, but there's actually science that shows how, how the effects of dopamine on our brains last from anywhere from the first six weeks of a romantic relationship all the way through maybe to 18 months. But the problem is, once we start losing that, that rush of dopamine in our brains, then we start feeling, that's the key word, feeling like something is wrong, like, oh, this isn't, this isn't the person that was supposed to complete me and give me everything that I want and make my life happy. This isn't the one because I've lost that feeling. And when we think we've lost the feeling, we go looking for that feeling somewhere or in someone else. We have access to more pleasure than ever, and yet we run from one high to another, continually disappointed with it all. And these things we thought would finally bring us joy don't, and neither does the next thing or the next. See, in our, I think in our world, what I've observed, and this is, this is a topic that I think is, is crucial for us to understand, for us as believers to get, because it's not just unbelievers who are struggling with this, but Christians struggle with joy. And, and we've allowed some of this false teaching, the, the lies of the world, to creep into our belief and our understanding of joy, and, and it's changed our pursuits. And we have put the pursuit of pleasure and the life we think we want, even the life we believe we deserve at the pinnacle of our existence. We put it at the very top. And yet for some reason, we believers and non-believers alike seem to be less and less happy. Why? Why is that happening? What are we, we must be doing something wrong, right? We, we should be doing something wrong, especially when we watch that video and they talk about joy and how, how we ought to have joy. And that's a major theme that runs through all of Scripture from the beginning to the end is this idea of joy. And yet for some reason, we don't seem to have joy today in the church. Why? What, what are we doing wrong? What if, what if we've been sold 
a story about joy that's a lie. And what if real joy isn't found in getting things or status or the life we always dreamed of? What if joy is something entirely different? See, I would like to propose to you this morning that, that joy, just like love, joy is, a, is a, not a destination. Just like love, joy is not a destination. Joy, instead, is the byproduct of a settled past and a proper focus. This, this week, um, you know, we homeschool our kids, and we're working with Hannah on algebra, and I'm quickly realizing how much I've forgotten about algebra. But uh, that kind of put it in my mind for something I wanted to do this morning. Um, we were doing this, the, the equation to try to find percentages of decimals or something like that. I, I, I can't really remember. All I remember is there was a WN in the equation. But um, so I want to I want to share you share with you at least my understanding at this point the equation for joy. The equation for joy. This, this is how we get joy. Now, this is going to sound really simple, but in practice, it's a lifelong journey that's going to take you know, continual evolution in our lives of God transforming us into his likeness. But it starts here. The first part of the equation is what we talked about last week. peace with God. Joy is the byproduct of a settled past and a proper focus. And it starts with peace with God. If we don't have peace with God, if we're not at peace with our maker, our creator, we'll never experience joy. You'll never have joy, true joy in your life if you're not at peace with God. Because he's the giver of true joy, lasting joy. And if we're not at peace with the giver of joy, we're not going to be able to receive joy. And so, so, so true joy starts with peace. We have to be at peace with God. Starts with peace, ends with hope, and joy is in the middle. But peace then, so joy is when you're settled on the inside. That was the, that was the quote we used in the book this week. Um, I think we've got that on the screen for you, so I won't write it up on the board. But joy is when you're settled on the inside. This is, this is part one of joy. When you're settled on the inside, when you have peace with God. You'll never have joy if you're not at peace with God. If you're at war with the one who created and gives joy, you'll never have it. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 says this. This is Jesus talking. This is just after he sent the disciples out to, to you know, kind of test them and how well they were doing at being his disciples. And when they came back, they were all excited about all the things they had done and how they were able to cast out demons and do all of these things in his name. And his response to that is Luke 10 verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, so don't rejoice at, at the amazing things you can do because you're a child of God. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. A, a psalmist says that, you know, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That, that joy begins with salvation. Joy begins when we are at peace with God. And if we have peace with God, if we are at peace with God, then joy is on your way. If you have peace with God, joy is on your way. What do I mean by that? Let me, let me explain it just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. This is a, a passage that I quote uh, pretty regularly because it's really foundational to our faith. We've got it here for you on the screen, but you can look it up as well if you've got your Bible and but Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, here's, here's the key verse. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So he's using a racing metaphor, like, like you're running a race. And, and as you run a race, you have your eye on the finish line. And so you're looking towards the finish line, and that's where you're going to run, because so, you're running to that as the end, as the completion, as the thing that you're achieving and getting. And so, so what he says is, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that started it, and he's the one that's going to perfect it, to bring it to completion, wholeness. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, and this is what I quote so many times, I love this verse, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, I would make, a, I would make an argument that Jesus did not want to go to the cross, that, that, that Jesus didn't, didn't want to go through with being crucified. And I have to believe that if he's fully God and fully human, that the fully human side of him was, was thinking, I don't want to do this. And, and we can see evidence of this in the garden when he's praying, Father, if there's any possible way to do this other than me having to do what you're saying I have to do, don't make me do it. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So I don't, I don't really see that Jesus really wanted to be crucified, but I see that he did it for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It's the, the joy of the, the, of the plan of God coming to completion and bringing salvation to a reality for his people. It is peace with God through his sacrifice. And, and so as he saw what the crucifixion would produce as he saw what the crucifixion would do, the results of the crucifixion, he was able to look at the crucifixion and see it as joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Focus on him. Have your eyes fixed on him. Your focus on him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Joy is all about your focus. It's all about what, what we're consumed with. We talk about worship and how worship is whatever consumes our attentions and our affections. What, what are we consumed with? Are we consumed with ourselves? Are we focused on ourselves and, and getting the life that we want now so that we can have everything that we've always dreamed of and all the stuff that we wanted? Is that what we're consumed with? Are, are we consumed with finding our own happiness and our own joy? Is that what consumes us? Are, are, we, are we chasing joy? Is our focus on ourselves? Is our focus on our circumstances? Because we really heavily define joy as circumstantial in our world today. We think, we think that when all of my circumstances in my life, everything around me lines up like I want it to, then I'll have joy. When everything in my life is perfect and it's how I dreamed that it would be, then, then I will have joy. And our focus then ends up being on the circumstances instead of on Jesus? Are we focusing on ourselves? Are we focusing on our circumstances? Or are we focusing on Jesus? You've heard the phrase joy in the journey. Well, we'll never find joy in the journey if we're still focused on ourselves and our own efforts. We'll never have joy in the journey that way if, if everything is still focused on us and looking on, looking on ourselves. And I believe this, and if, if, you don't, if this doesn't mesh up with your theology and you can prove me wrong, I'd love for you to correct me after the service. 
But I believe you can be at peace with God. You can have this part of the equation and still not have joy. I believe you can be at peace with God. He is your salvation. You have accepted his gift of salvation, but still not have joy. And I think we do that because we make life all about ourselves. Our focus is on ourselves and our circumstances and getting what we want out of life. And so, so we, we just kind of neglect the other part of the equation to just focus on what we've gotten. And I think there are many, many, many Christians who don't have joy because we've turned Christianity into another selfish pursuit. The byproduct of peace and hope is joy. But using Christ to get joy is like this. I don't know if you guys, anyone still use a toaster? I use a toaster every morning. Yeah, so I, one of, that's my go-to breakfast is an English muffin and Tillamook yogurt. Tillamook is, you know, the best yogurt that I, that I like. And so, so we have a, a cup of Tillamook yogurt and an English muffin. And you know, put that, that's almost all the way on the high setting because for some reason it takes English muffins a lot longer to cook than regular bread. And so, so you've got it up there, but, but if you're close to the toaster while it's on, you can feel the heat kind of radiating from the toaster, right? You, you, put, you put the English muffin down because you're toasting it because you want it to be toasted, and what you're going for is the toasted English muffin. But while you're standing there, you can feel the heat radiating off of the toaster. Well, well, I believe that this is what we do in Christianity is that, and how we turn it into a selfish pursuit, that, that, that using Christ to get joy is like using a toaster for the brief moment of heat it provides. Using Christ, going, you know, you know, following Christ and saying, okay, I want to focus on Christ because what I really want is joy. I, 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 I understand Jesus and, you know, and he did all this stuff for me. And, you know, and yeah, 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 Jesus, thanks for the salvation. Thanks for all you did on the cross. You know, no big deal, but I appreciate it. But, but what I really want is for me to feel better and I want the joy that comes as a result of what you did. So, so the focus isn't really on Jesus, it's on ourselves and how we feel and what we get as a result of Jesus. That's the same thing as, as, as using a toaster for the brief moment of heat it provides instead of the end result, which is to get toast. See, the point of the toaster is you get toast. The point of salvation is you get Jesus. That, that's the point of peace with God, is, is Jesus. It's, it's relationship with the Father. The, having peace with God makes it possible so that we can have that relationship again. And that was ruined before. We were at war with God. We were at odds with God. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we get peace with God. We get a relationship with the Father. And so that's the point of salvation, is this. The point of salvation is not joy. That's a byproduct. Prove it. All right. Do my best. John chapter 15, verse 9 through, 9 through 11, actually. John chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in all of the New Testament. This is the, the passage that these vines on the wall are based on and why we put them there in the first place, why Tiffany painted them for us years ago. And we talked often about the vine and the branches and the, that that. God produces fruit through us because we're attached to the vine. So this is in the context of that discussion Jesus is sharing with us. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And that word remain means to abide or dwell. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain, abide, dwell in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and, and remain and abide or dwell in his love. Why have I told you all this? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Verse 
we have complete joy when our focus is on Jesus and, and, and his commands and living the life that he's given us to live and, and, and being focused on, on what he wants from us and for us, not on what we want to use God to get from him. See, joy is a combination of peace with God and, figured it out yet, peace with God and focusing on Jesus. What does it mean to focus on Jesus? It means to dwell. It means to abide. It means to remain. It means to be in him. It means that, that we don't get distracted by looking for this and miss this. We, we don't get distracted by looking for this, that, that, we, that we mess up the equation. We, we mess up what, what it is that God designed in the first place. The only way for us to really have peace with God and focus on Jesus and receive joy in the journey is to look at who is filling our cup. We use that illustration at the beginning of the story, how so many of us end up filling our cups or trying to fill our cups with, with things that they weren't designed to hold. And, and we've tried to fill up our cup that was meant for Jesus with, with all the circumstantial happiness that we think is going to provide us the joy that we're longing for. And we're disappointed. What gives you satisfaction in life? Who is filling your cup? Psalm 16, verse 5 says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. In verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What's the path to life? Well, it is this journey that we're on is the path to life that, that God wants to give us, right? This is, this is the journey, and this is where we receive joys when we're walking in his path and in his ways. Look at this. You will fill me with joy in your presence. See, if we're not at peace with God, if we're at war with God, we can't be in the presence of God, so we can't really receive joy. But if we are in his presence, we can be full of joy. What are, we, what are we filling our cup with? What are we hoping to fill our lives with so that we can, in the end, get joy and happiness and feel like we want to feel? Romans chapter 14, verse 17 and 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Isn't it interesting that one of the things that seems to be pushing us in our society is the approval of our peers? That, that, that we, want to, we just want to be able to want people to look on us and say, wow, they, they have really done it. They have really arrived. They have really succeeded. They, they put in all the effort. They put in all the hard work. They did all of the stuff that they were supposed to do, and, and it all paid off in the end. All of their plans worked out like they were supposed to, and, and, and we, we're fighting for this approval of the people around us. And... Here, what, what Paul says is that anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Maybe we've kind of gone about this thing all wrong. 
What if, what if the kingdom of God, like it says, is not a matter of eating and drinking? It's not a matter of filling our pleasures and, and urges, urges with the things that this world has to offer and looking and seeking satisfaction in those things, but instead the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that, it, that it's what God has done for us that, that makes the kingdom what it is. The kingdom of God isn't the things that give us pleasure in this life. But are we still trying to, even after we've been put at peace, we've received peace with God, are we still trying to fill our cup with the pleasures of this life, hoping that they will give us the joy that we long for? See, I think what's happened is we've allowed ourselves to be tricked. We've been duped. We've bought a lie in the church into thinking that joy is the pursuit of pleasure and all the things we want in life. I think, I think we've kind of bought into this idea that, that if I get my life how I want it to be, then I will be happy. I will have true joy. Not, not just circumstantial happiness, but, but joy that doesn't go away. Uh, joy that, that is internal and eternal. You see, the world will never really experience true, full, lasting joy because there's nothing to fill the cup. Only God can fill that cup. Only God can, can bring that cup to full and overflowing to a point where there is actual joy in somebody's life. And, and as long as we keep trying to fill that cup with things that aren't going to fill it, we'll always feel empty. There will always be this longing, this desire. It's like, oh, there just, there's just seems to be more. There has to be more to it all, right? There's got to be more to this life than this. It's just, oh, I got that thing, but now it just, it just seems like there has to be more. Who's filling our cup? I mentioned this. I have no idea where it originated, so I can't really give credit to it. But you've probably heard this phrase that joy is Jesus, others, and you. Putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. I've referred to this as I'm third. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 he answered, Jesus answered, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's Jesus, others, you. That's the order. And I never share that because I find it incredibly cheesy, but it's true. And I think you'll remember it if you haven't already learned it. But, but that's where joy comes, where, we, where we're going to experience joy is by focusing on Jesus, not ourselves. Focusing on our relationship with the Father, not ourselves. Loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. Then loving others, loving our neighbors as ourselves. The problem is we get that out of order all the time. We're constantly putting ourselves up there in the first place. We never have joy. I think joy is something that's actually a gift. If you read the New Testament, it seems to me that it's a gift that God gives to us. It's something produced in us by the Holy Spirit. And it's produced in us by the Holy Spirit when we see everything in light of Jesus. When we look at the whole world, all of creation, our lives, everything that exists in light of Jesus, then, then I think we start to experience joy. That's why Paul, when he's when he's writing his letter on joy from prison, he can write about joy even though his circumstances are being chained up and jailed and tortured for his faith. He, he can write about joy even though his circumstances are counter to joy because this is something different. He's seeing what's, what's happening in light of Jesus, just like Jesus saw what he was doing in light of salvation. Paul was looking at what's going to happen as a result of him being here, and you'll read that in Philippians where he says, don't, don't worry about me, don't worry about what's going on, because the whole palace guard's going to hear about Jesus as a result of me being in chains. This is, this is a good thing. And oh, and look, this has is, this is kind of stirred up the brothers in faith so that people who were timid about sharing their faith before him are now actually going out and preaching the gospel. And so, so there's a lot of good that's coming out. If you, if you would just see it the way that I see it, you'll see that what, what looks like pain and torture and prison and, and awful things by the world's standards is actually serving to push the gospel forward. This, this is what joy is. 
it's a focus on Jesus. It's being so focused on Jesus that everything pales in comparison. So joy is not just when you're settled on side, but you have joy when your hope is in your destiny, not the temporary. You have joy when your hope is in your destiny, not the temporary. Your destiny is, is Jesus. Your destiny is, is eternal life with the Father. That, that's your destiny. And when, you're, when your hope is in that, not on my temporary circumstances and what I hope to get as, as a result of me doing X, Y, and Z, when my focus is not on circumstance, but my focus is on Jesus, then I'll have joy. You'll have joy when your hope is in your destiny, not the temporary. This is why we can have hope and joy in the midst of hardship. When you believe that Jesus' love has really overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable even in the darkest of circumstances. This is a, a lesson God has been teaching me for several years now. It's one that I, I have not excelled at for most of my life, the idea of joy. I remember as a teenager in high school, and Chuck Swindoll, I don't know if anyone ever listened or still listens to Chuck Swindoll, but you know he does these studies, and one of the great things about, about what he did with Insight for Living is he would make his study guides available for free, and if you just wrote a letter in, they'd send you a copy, and you could have a copy for free and follow along with him as they did the radio program. And, and the only time I ever did that was when he was studying through Philippians and, and joy. Joy is not something that, that's always just kind of been natural for me. You know, I, you know, and actually, I think it's kind of a facade that we, a lie that we believe, that, that there are people that just seem to be naturally joyful. You know, we've kind of experienced that in our life. You know, you've experienced that person, that personality that just kind of comes in and, and just lights the room up with their personality. They're just on fire and they're happy and they're excited and everyone's kind of drawn around them. And, they, you know, they just kind of make fun and, and do a lot of things that, that seem like fun. But, but what I know about some of those people is they also tend to struggle the most with joy. For me, joy hasn't always been just a natural, easy road. It's been something that that I've had to work at and learn. And, and it's not until recently, probably the last year or two, maybe three, where I've started to learn that the reason I, I haven't experienced joy is because my focus was wrong. That, that you know, I've, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not, you know, not one of those real happy, bubbly people where I just kind of you know, bubble up, you know, just like, ooh, it's like joy, happy, yeah. I don't know if you figured that out yet, but that's not really, that's not really my, my natural personality. That, that's as kind of excited as I get. Woo! That's, that's, that's forcing it. Unless I'm watching football. And I don't know why. I don't know what's different about the Buckeyes, but I get real excited when the Buckeyes are playing. It's probably just my hypocrisy coming out. But anyway, joy hasn't been something that really has come natural for me. And... Last year in particular, 2017, was one that, that it just really was a struggle. Where, where I wasn't, I, I just, I don't know, I, I was burnt out, I was tired, felt like, you know, I spent a lot of energy really, you know, pushing to, to try to make things happen in the church and, and just really chasing things, you know, and, and just chasing after a dream or an idea. Chasing after, you know, the, the, the you know, church growth and, you know, want the church to grow and be successful. And a successful church looks like this. And, and you know, kind of pouring myself out, want, you know, just going after that with, with all of my life, you know, just kind of doing that for the first three or four years that I was here. And then just for whatever reason, it just wasn't paying off. It just wasn't working. And that combined with some, some other struggles and pain and things that had happened in my life around that time, just much of 2017, the end of 2016 and, and first two-thirds of 2017, I was just kind of 
defeated, discouraged. Maybe you didn't notice, although I think probably a lot of you did if you know me at all. But it's easy in the church to, you know, to, to put on a show, and I was able to do that for, for most of it. And if you weren't real close to me, you probably didn't notice because on Sundays you can just kind of flip a switch and turn on a personality that you're not and smile and act like everything's good and all is good with the world. How was your week? Oh, it was great. Thanks for asking. What's God do? Oh, God's just great in my life right now. You know, just God's teaching me so much. And it's real easy to do that in the church and, and to kind of put on this facade that, you know, everything, everything's perfect. But it wasn't really th- until, you know, through the end of last year and most of this year where where I started to realize that my focus was on, on me. My focus was on my ideas and, and my success and my pursuits and wanting to get what I thought was what we needed as a church. And it wasn't until early this year where, where there was a real shift in my thinking a real shift in my actual focus, which is why I think I can teach you about this this morning. And I've shared it before, and I'll keep sharing it again, is that just reading through Philippians and, and coming to that verse that Paul shared, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And that here in the midst of his pursuit of joy, Paul was talking about knowing Christ. And his, his idea, his hope for the Philippian church was that they would know the joy of Christ, the joy of the Lord, and that he was willing, even though he wanted to depart and be with Christ, he was willing to stay behind so that they might know the joy of Christ. And it wasn't until I really actually started focusing more of my attention on Jesus than on myself and on my pursuits and on my agendas and on my dreams and the stuff that I was chasing that it wasn't until I actually said, okay, and I just remember praying and laying in my bed several nights during that time and and just praying and saying, God, I just want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you more. I, I want to know who you are. I want to know you like Paul knew you. I want to experience you like, like Paul knew you. I, I want to know you like, like, like the son knew you and, and the relationship that you had with Jesus. I want to know you like that. I just, I just want to know you. I, yeah, I want the power of the resurrection, and I want all of the good, fun stuff that comes along with being in Christ and all of that stuff that I've, that I've hoped for and prayed for and hoped to be a part of my life. Yeah, I want, I want all of that, but but the top of my list, the most important thing for me became to know Christ, to know Christ, to know Christ. And that has become the mantra and the mission of my life, and not only of my life personally, but for us as a church, is that you would know Christ, to know Christ, and that you might know Christ. And I think the reason maybe some of us don't really have joy in our life is because maybe we've got peace with God and we're settled with God and and we've got our salvation, but we've just stopped focusing on Jesus. We don't know him anymore. And maybe so many of us are struggling with this idea of joy in the journey and looking at someone like Paul who says, joy in the midst of pain, who's teaching joy in the midst of being imprisoned, and we laugh. Yeah, right. And I think our inability to believe that that was the actual truth that Paul was sharing actually leads us to not only question whether joy is possible, but whether belief and faith is real at all. But I think it's because we've kind of, we're using the toaster to get heat. We're using the toaster to warm up our hands when at the end of the day, what God really wants to give us is, is Jesus in relationship with himself. That's, that's why there's joy in the world. 
That's why there's, there's still echoes in the world today of joy because of Jesus. It's not because, not because we're growing bigger churches and because we're more sophisticated in our, in our methods of being able to get the gospel out. That, that's not why there's still joy. The reason there's joy in the world is because of Jesus. And, and if we could just, if we could just as a church, as a church family, as the kingdom of God here at 6 8 Church, if we could just get our focus on Jesus and just say, this Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, my focus is on, I'm going to put my eyes on the finish line, which is Jesus, fixing my eyes on, on the author and the finisher, the beginner and the ender. I'm going to focus on Jesus, and, and no matter what happens, I'm settled and I'm good because, because I've got Jesus. My, my eyes are on Jesus, and no matter what circumstances come, left and right, behind and ahead, my focus is on the one who actually gives me joy. Wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that realign all of our lives? So what I'm hoping will happen in, in us as a church is that, that, that we would just discover the byproduct of joy as a result of focusing on Jesus. Maybe we just need to stop obsessing about joy and focusing on joy and hoping for joy. Instead, let's obsess on Jesus. Let's dwell on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. And I would bet my life on the fact that if we do that, we will all have joy in the journey. Let's stand together. I'll be up here at the front if you want to pray. I'll ask Jim and Russ to come up to the front as well. If, you, if you're just struggling, if there's something that's taken the focus of your life and, and you're struggling to see anything other than that, then we'd like to pray with you and, and help you gain some perspective. Everything falls into incredible perspective when we focus on Jesus. Hopefully it falls into perspective for us every week as we look at communion and remember the cross. I want to pray for us. If you would like prayer, please come forward. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We just we want to pray and help you. Settle some of the things that are unsettled in your life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you don't have any joy, then we'd really love to pray with you so that you can actually be at peace with God and get the first part of the equation down. But before we pray, I want to read this benediction from Jude and pray it over us. So just ask you to listen Bow your heads, close your eyes, listen to this prayer, this benediction. To him. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To him who is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, the only one, the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Heavenly Father, turn the attention and focus of our hearts to you and only you. Anything that is causing us to stumble, anything that is tripping us up, I pray, Father, that you would help us to take our focus off of that 
and to turn it completely wholly on you. That you are the only one that's able to keep us from stumbling, that as we try in our own strength, we will trip all the time and stumble and fall, but that you can keep us from stumbling, that you can give us what we need to live this life and to have joy in the journey. And that someday there awaits for us this opportunity where you will present us before the presence of the Father without fault, without blemish, without mistake, without anything that would keep us from being in his presence. And not only will you present us as perfect and covered in the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, not only will you present us as, as something, something that is taken care of, but that you will present us to the Father with great joy. That, that it brings you joy to bring us into the presence as, of God the Father as ones who have been redeemed and reconciled and restored and are at peace with God. That it, brings, that it brings you joy, that it brings the Father joy, that heaven celebrates over those who have come into the kingdom. That there is great joy over those who have focused on Jesus Christ and have put aside the things of this life that we chase and come up empty all the time. That there is great joy in heaven over us. Father, help us to see that you rejoice over your children. You are full of joy about us. Help us not only to see that you are full of joy about us, but Father, fill us to overflowing with you, with your presence, with the presence of the Holy Spirit who produces in us the fruit of joy. Fill us so full of yourself that the only possible thing that could be produced in our lives is joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do in us what only you can do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.